Speaking of daring fireball, Dave and I just did a fireball shot. How are you guys doing? It's it's funny. It's been, I guess, a month since we did a show. It feels like it's been a, lo- a lot longer. I don't know if that's just me, and I've been super busy, and so it's like, um, you know, every, everything feels... I can't remember yesterday, let alone four weeks ago, but VT10 was about a month ago now, it, oh boy. and it really feels like uh-huh. it was ages ago to me. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it I does agree. to me, too. Yeah. Time flies, man. This whole summer thing is crazy. Um, you know, uh, this week is extra crazy for me. Apple's developer conference is this week, and they, you know, usually load us down with a ton of a ton of new stuff, but this year was even uh, a bigger explosion than normal, so it's been uh, pretty intense to try and keep up with some stuff. I think as far as it relates to something that people on this show might be interested in, um, there's a lot of interesting new stuff that uh, apps can do with location. So I, I am expecting to add some cool features to Vegas Mate for the future. So that should be fun. Always good to get new tools to build stuff with, but uh, it's exciting. Um, let's see. So, uh, we mentioned VT10. That was our last major event, but we have another event coming up. Yes. That's in October, October 18th, to be clear. Um, the Vegas Internet Mafia Family Picnic is October 18th. Since our last show, we announced the host hotel for our event, and it is once again the fabulous D Las Vegas. So, Derek Stevens and the good folks at the D are, um, brave enough to have us back, and uh, so we will be doing our main event in the showroom there on, on Saturday. And, and uh, so far, that's the only thing that we've officially confirmed. We have um, a schedule that has got other stuff on it that we're not going to tell you about today. <laughs> so uh, not a little bit, uh, maybe 30% intentionally coy and 70% still working shit out. Yes. But um, it's going to be fun. We've got some stuff. As we've said multiple times, our goal is to try. We're always trying to top ourselves. And um, so we're working hard to make that happen. It's definitely a lot of pressure. Yes, sir. Speaking of toppings, I think I am going to announce one thing about Vimp. Go ahead. There will be hot dogs with toppings. Ah, yes. Mm. Very insightful. Those are optional, but (laughs) recommended. Toptionaling. Toppingshally. Optional hot dogs. Hmm. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's going to be awesome. You know, it's fun. I, I, ahead of the announcement, some people were speculating where it might be. Um, you know, I heard all kinds of different suggestions thrown out there. You know, one of the benefits of going back to a venue the second time around is that a lot of the logistical stuff that you have to figure out uh, about a venue and just about who you need to talk to to get certain things done and how it all works. We don't have to worry about that so much this time. So it should mean a uh, smoother, smoother show. Um, you know, last year, those that were folks that were there, we had a couple of minor technical snafus up at the top of the show, but uh, we got the benefit this time of it being much more of a known quantity. So it should be a nice, smooth, fun experience, which is awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, I had a question on from somebody on Facebook asking about when, how the whole thing played out. So as I m- mentioned, we have not a- announced the schedule yet, but you can expect the main event, which is sort of the live version of podcasts and a few other pieces, um, to be that Saturday afternoon. Uh, so if you're planning a weekend schedule, um, that's uh, the, the main thrust, though I would not add too much stuff before you hear the rest of what we're planning because we've got some fun stuff for the rest of the weekend. So um, it'll be coming up. Uh, also, people have asked about cost. Uh, there is no cost to attend the, the main event. Um, you know, it's not something that I, I, I for, 
it's easy for me to forget that if you haven't been plugged into this thing for a while, that there are all these kinds of details that we don't necessarily talk about every time, but people, new people are wondering. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, there's no cost. Um, so yeah, everyone is welcome. Um, we, it's, uh, yeah, it's a lot of fun. It's not like, uh, the kind of thing where you got to go buy a ticket and, um, and all that kind of jazz. So, uh, it's free and yeah, I'm not sure. I'm sort of rambling now. Uh, <laughs> it's going to be fun. VegasInternetMafia.com. Yes. You can watch our introductory video, that uh, our announcement video that uh, Chuck put together, which was a lot of fun both to watch get filmed and also see in its finished form. So if you haven't seen that, I highly recommend you go check it out. Yeah, um, yeah so that's it. That's all we got for you on VIMP so far, October 18th. Uh, 2014 at the D Las Vegas downtown. Excellent. Okay, let's talk about some stuff. You know, it's funny. Like I said, it's only been a month, but a lot has happened in a month. All kinds of stuff. We missed out on some big stories that happened right after our last show, um, and some interesting other stuff and p- random uh, some posts that I think are worth discussing. So we'll just jump right in. Uh, I think we can probably dispatch this relatively quickly. Um, but uh, you know, the last show. I talked a little bit about uh, the tour I did of SLS under construction. Um, that post has since gone up on Vegas Tripping. Um, inside Rob Osland is available for you to read. Uh, it's you know it's a little bit on the longer side, but not interminable. Hopefully, and you can get some more detail about sort of my thinking on some of the challenges that they're up against, how they might deal with them, and uh, some more thoughts on. Uh, sort of Osland himself. He ended up doing our tour, as I think I mentioned last time. And uh, interesting guy, very well put together. So they've got. Uh, it's. I think it's an interesting story. It'll be curious to see how things work out. Um, in addition to that post, if you're curious about SLS, Chuck, you've been doing a series where you have been visiting the LA versions of a lot of their F and B outlets. Yeah. Um, quick, quick uh, heads up on what people should expect there. What you've done so far. Oh, absolutely. Well, so far we've uh, we visited four of their local uh, eateries here in town, and uh, it's uh, Katsuya, Katsudashya, which they have transformed into a place called Katsuya Plus Stark, uh, which is a sushi place, and uh, the side of white paint. Right, right, and uh, the. Uh, uh, the next one we went to is the Griddle Cafe, which Ugh. is going to be their breakfast place, which serves like basically dessert pancakes topped with dessert toppings and things like that. That looks pretty, pretty gross in the pictures. You know, it it tasted kind of okay, but you can only eat a little bit of it before you're like, I got to get out of here. But uh, And then the next one, later in that day, that very day, later that day, we went to uh, Umami Burger. Uh, the review of that I was hoping to get posted this week, but who knows how things are going. Um, and then last week, uh, VT Scribe, John H., and Miss Monkey and myself went to Cleo in Hollywood, which is a Middle Eastern cuisine, tapas, Middle Eastern kind of stuff, which was um, worth worth discussing. So we'll get into that uh, hopefully within the next few weeks i'll get that one out so so um you know given what you've tried so far uh you know do you think that these are going to be a good fit for las vegas uh yes and no you know i think 
you know, uh, they'll probably all be pretty good fits. You know, I, I don't know if I'm the right person to be a harbinger of taste in in uh, in what people are going to like or not like. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think that the novelty aspect of the Griddle Cafe is going to be popular. But I think it'll have the same degree of shelf life as like the fascination with Hash, hash House of Go-Go did, where right. folks are real interested for about six months, and then after everybody tried it, they never went back. And now it's a restaurant of convenience as opposed to a destination. And the world's largest purchaser of Rosemary Sprigs. That's true, <laughs> yeah. They, they have a grove of Rosemary Sprigs. Uh, uh, the, the sushi place, uh, I, I think there's too much competition in Las Vegas for a sushi restaurant. If you're there, you'll eat there, but I don't see people going there specifically for, uh, for destination sushi. Umami Burger... Uh, is is gourmet burgers? Uh, they serve everything uh, uh, rare, so it's purple in the middle. Uh, that may turn a lot of folks off. The prices are pretty astronomical. Uh, you can get better burgers probably at other places, but there's been such a wave of press about umami and the mystique behind the name and uh, the incessant coverage by the food blogs that people are definitely going to want to go check it out because they've heard so much about it. Right, Um, right. Cleo, I don't want to tip my cards completely, but uh, I guess I may. Um, There's nothing like this on the Strip. Huh. There is, you know, we have Greek restaurants, but there really is no um, approachable amalgam of tasty – small dish friendly cornucopia of Middle Eastern cuisine. Huh. You know, there's all sorts of stuff from everywhere in the region, Syria, Persian, uh, Lebanon, you name it. There's just so much, so many places there where this food comes from. And, and it's, uh, this is, I think this is, to me, this is probably going to be, the surprise hit of the of their offerings. Huh. Pe- people know the uh, Jose Andres. Right. This is going to be the since it's bizarre meat. They're going to take the <laughs> yeah. They're going to take and I wish they didn't do that. Not only because it's a stupid joke, but why not just call it bizarre and then say the focus here is a little different. But bizarre in in L.A. and I believe there's one in Washington and there might be another one somewhere else. It's a. Uh, uh, it's kind of like a molecular right. tapas place. So they serve very different ways of making small dish, one bite, two bites, two bite stuff. And uh, it's it's a pretty stellar dining experience. It's kind of like eh at uh, the Cosmopolitan, right? but exploded on a grander scale. Uh, Maybe a little less weird, a little more approachable than, than that thing. And I, I, I was not particularly... After going to Bazaar, Bazaar was my first Jose Andres place. Uh, it was before the Cosmo Open. And um, when I looked at the Cosmo, uh, his offerings there, I was kind of not interested because I liked the more creative, fascinating stuff than than uh, just like paella and tapas and things like that. So I was really excited for them to bring this restaurant to Vegas because I thought it would really explode. But if if they've shifted the focus to really to be more of a meat steak barbecue with some of that uh, molecular 
uh, flavor to it, I'm a little concerned. But it still may be awesome. Who knows? But well, I trust him as a chef. So yeah, right. But those two, I think, are, are by far going to be the the biggest uh, draws, I believe, of the whole lineup. Well, it, you're making me hungry. So it sounds sounds good. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, so for folks, uh, they can go to Vegas Shipping to read all of those posts and continue to keep your eyes open for the two that are forthcoming. Yeah. And um, that's, I think, it for SLS. We're seeing some pretty good progress happen there. They activated their LED sign. Their con- the site's continuing to evolve. We're seeing more and more pictures leak out of the interiors. Um, so, you know, it's definitely moving along. They've just got a few months left now before yeah. their Labor Day opening. Um, so, you know, Hunter, yeah. I do want to add one more point, and this is in relation to uh, your piece and the summation of the discussion that that we've had inside of VT with with our with our staff because we've all visited these these uh, SBE joints in differing configurations, and the we've wondered in the first few reviews that you've read and other past experiences that the thread between all of these SBE dining things is that there's something distasteful about all of them, the service level, the way they treat you, or it's just an incomplete meal. And, and the thing that we've kind of f- figured out through discussion that you nailed in your piece, hence the title, is that the big equalizer here really is Rob Osland. He's the guy who's going to determine whether or not the SBE thing is really going to sink or swim. He's going to be watching the service levels, the performance, the way these things are. And the fact, you know, it goes back to the initial time that they hired him. All of us unanimously were like, that's a great hire. He's the perfect guy for this job. So I think, I think it was great, the, 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 your piece, and, and it's given me a lot more hope. Yeah. Well, me too. I mean – I it's long a long piece and I'm not going to read go over everything I wrote there but I I was very impressed by him um, I think that hopefully comes across that uh, doesn't mean that it's a sure thing he still has a yeah. huge mountain to climb yes but um, he's very he's an impressive guy he's very smart and really he's got his shit together as far as if, I can tell if there's someone who can do it he would be on the top five of that list yeah you know so. I, it definitely gave me uh, renewed hope for the place, even if you know I'm, I'm not necessarily in their like clientele target, maybe so much. But uh, yeah, it it made me far more curious to go check it out. So definitely planning on it. Um, okay, so the other thing, well, actually, I've been I've had a bunch of posts on your site lately. I don't know how that happened. Um, nothing, I, to- I nothing talked for you years. Into it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so we the- missed you. <laughs> Thank you. The weekend after VT10, I actually returned to Las Vegas, this time with my wife, for a family event, and we decided to stay at Downtown Grand. So we did. And it didn't go that well. Um, I was, quite frankly, I didn't know what to expect. I thought that my wife actually might kind of like it, because Downtown Grand is like, it's new, and the facility is very clean. Um, And uh, it turns out that she really didn't like it. And I, it was interesting to me to see the things that she picked up on that that uh, weren't weren't great. Um, and again, not to rehash the whole post, you can go read it; it's not very long. But uh, service levels are are rough. I think inside the casino, it really felt like they were understaffed. 
Um, and I think that is probably directly related to the low volume of customers that are going through that place. It still um, seems like they're having quite a hard time drawing people down there to that end of, uh, of the street. And, uh, you know, it just wasn't very busy. There was a couple times where we walked up to, like, their center bar in the casino, and there was literally nobody there. The bartender was, like, on a bathroom break, which is just something that's really unheard of, right? It may be at your local neighborhood bar, the bartender disappears for a few minutes. But the main casino bar in a a downtown casino, like, there's always somebody there. Not, Not the case. It was emblematic of, of some of the issues. And then the, the thing that really pissed her off, I think, was that you know they used Third Street um, for all kinds of like wacky outdoor activities. And they had this Hawaiian band playing on the stage uh, that drew maybe, I don't know, 40 or 50 people um, to watch them outside. But you couldn't – it was just the sound permeated all of the guest rooms. Like that's all you heard was like the wailing of the Hawaiian band all afternoon. Um, which was really quite annoying. That mixed with the oonts coming off of Picnic. Uh, so there are, there are all kinds of little issues, but you know, it really made me, made me wonder again how, how tough of a situation they're really in. I mean, is it, is it, is it terminal? Uh, what's going to happen down there, right? I mean, we know that uh, they, they haven't done, done certain things like join the Fremont Street experience. Um, they're doing some marketing, but not a ton. Uh, our guest from last year's Vimp, uh, Zach was Zach Conan was not is no longer um, affiliated with the company, uh, according to his own words on on the comments on that thread, on that story. Um, you know, I uh, I would have ex- I said this in the piece I think, but I would have expected to see somebody like uh, C- uh, property CEO Seth Shore like there all the time. Uh, I, you know, not that my two days there is a representative sample, but. Um, I, it didn't look like a full court press to save a sinking ship. So I just got to wonder, especially in the, with the structure we're talking about there, where it's a, a the ownership and the management are two separate groups. Uh, you know, if it goes down, it goes down. If it succeeds, it succeeds. I don't know. I, I could be – I will um, definitely posit that it's possible I've read this entirely wrong and I just got a bad snapshot. But it didn't look good to me. It looked It looked like they were really struggling – and uh, you know these things can kind of get into a death spiral where you don't have enough money to market it, and then you're not making enough money because you're not marketing it, and it really gets tough to pull out of that. Uh, so I, I don't know. I don't. I don't know what how what your guys thinking is on downtown Grand these days, but I I think they're they're in, maybe in trouble. My thinking from a local's perspective is that they are marketing it. I just don't know how effective they are. You know, there's a billboard in the 215 in Warm Springs, which is going to Henderson people. And I'm honestly not sure what would convince you to drive up there as opposed to driving to Green Valley Ranch, which is right, you know, about two stops, two exits down. So I think they, you know, I think there's a lot of really good things about the property. Like you said, it's new. It looks nice. It's just a matter of putting all the pieces together and trying to find a core group of players who are going to come there um, repeatedly. I think that's the big challenge right there. Yeah. I mean, you know, you open a spot and if you don't have... You know, open a property is hard, right? There's going to be stuff that's not going to work. You're going to have to rejigger some things, recalibrate some stuff. Uh, it's You have to work doubly hard to build that base. If you don't have the resources to do it, like, and I don't know if this is the case or not, but if you, you know, blew all your wad on um, the, the facility and you can't really uh, then don't have enough to run the place right, you can get yourself into some trouble. I, you know, in the... Post, I was just sort of trying to figure out what their strategy was, right? Was it 
sort of a, a win strategy, I, aka like strip light, some sort of strip like place downtown. Um, you know, was it sort of the standard Fremont strategy? Doesn't seem like either one of those is the case. Station strategy, I don't know, maybe, but if they're doing that, they're not doing it very well, I don't think. I've seen, I saw at least one of their billboards that was right downtown, and just from a, literally from a, just a design perspective, you couldn't figure out who it was for. There's, a station billboard is like, it's nothing to write home about typographically, but it's very clear that it's for Palace Station. Um, the downtown grand one is like this blobs of different color. And you, if, if you didn't know downtown grand was a casino, you would never be able to figure out what it was advertising, especially as you're driving by at 75 miles an hour. So, um, you know, it makes me wonder how this is all going to work out. Um, but, uh, you know, we'll see, I guess, uh, Chuck, are you planning a stay at downtown grand? Yeah. You know, I, I definitely am interested in, in, uh, giving it a whirl. I've been in the rooms uh, on the tour as well as uh, visiting with friends over VT10 weekend and wandered around the place and checked it out and stuff and you know, I played, I gambled and I won a bunch of money at the blackjack table. The dealer was nice, you know, the drink service came. So I like the fact that it wasn't a zoo. Right. I won't. I won't gamble at the D on the tables, at least. You know, because it just it's just a little loud in there, and it seems it feels crowded. I'll go there and hang out and whatnot, but it it, it it's a little a little too intense for my tastes. Uh, but I had a good time, you know. But the fact that there is nobody there, you know, as a guy who's interested in the business side and not just a tourist, certainly smelled concern there. You know, yeah, I you know, uh, we'll it will continue to play out. I think. Also, one one thing I wanted to tack on there, you're talking about the advertising and the billboards, and this is just a lesson from Uncle Steve that I've gotten uh, through people who worked with him. Is that he insisted on his advertising very simple terms, uh, and par- partially could because of his vision or, or what have you. But Mr. Wynn says, what? And where is all people need to know. So that's why their billboards are always just that black right. thing. Win logo, Trist nightclub. Win yeah. logo, DJ mouse hat. <laughs> Real simple, you know. That's what he does. What, where. The other things, a picture of a steak, you don't necessarily need that. I'm going to change my name to DJ Mouse Hat. That's that's my ongoing joke. <laughs> I, I, I like that one. Please. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's it's hard. It, and this goes back to SLS, right? It's like if downtown Grand is having peop- a trouble attracting people uh, a couple hundred feet yeah. uh, from Fremont Street, SLS is maybe in more trouble with the location than even we've postulated. Fascinating because a lot of the discussion – between those two posts, and there was other things that happened around that same time. Some people were like, "What are you kidding? Downtown Grand is only, you know, you can't walk from there to the D or to Fremont Street. You're, you're an idiot. Like, come on, it's not that far. It's not that big of a deal." But based on the the SLS marketing showing that <laughs> they're directly next door to Win, right? which is really 1.3 miles away, the same distance as Cosmopolitan to Mandalay Bay, that's a bigger task than a half a block. And they got to get 5,000 people a night to make that drive 
Yeah. No, it's hard. It's it's yeah. going to be very difficult. So Location. This, this story is about location, both of them. Yes. Here's the thing, though. If I'm – so if I'm running either Downtown Grand or SLS, what I want to do is go back and look at the Rio and the Palms because both of those properties were very successful off the strip and see what made them work. And in both cases, it was having a good gambling product for the locals and tailoring something for the locals, but also having something that was good for people from out of town. And I think that is going to be where these play. Well, not so much for SLS, but I think for downtown Grand, that's got to be the Fremont Street alternative. And kind of like what Chuck was saying, some people like the crowd. Some people like being in the throng in Fremont Street and feel energized by that. Other people feel drained by that. And I'm not saying the casino has to be empty, but if they just got maybe a little bit of a lower energy level, people might really be drawn to that. So it's, yeah. it's basically looking at what you can do there yeah. and how you can differentiate yourself from everybody else around you. And I don't – you know I. I think if you're, you know, looking at what George Maloof was able to do with the Palms and what the Marnells were able to do with the Rio, I don't think the distance is the, is the problem. It's giving people a reason to go there, yeah. which, is the, which is what you need. It's a good point. It's a good point. On the activity level, it's a fine line, though, right? I mean, the place feels dead. It's just depressing. So there's, there's, sort yeah. of, there's a tipping point where it goes from, like, into just negative territory. It really is. It really is. And I, I don't know how it, and this kind of hits at a lot of some of the things I'm, I'm, I'm remembering the kinds of things that Wynn and Roger Thomas were saying around the time that Wynn opened and they wanted to design a place that was comforting because after nine 11 and all that people kind of had this nostalgia and this need for security and comfort. So they had all these warm tones. It's, it's sort of the same thing. It, when you're designing a property, considering the psychological state of the people that are going to be in there, what is going to appeal to them on a non-intellectual level? Right. So they'll just it'll just feel good. So I think that's that's a big part of it. And I think they've got a nice looking building. It's just giving them reasons to get into the building. Yep. Like, hey, we've got really good odds, or a you know, f- hey, free bottle got, of booze. Yeah, or well, (laughs) and you know, also looking at who you know who's down there. There, part of it's going to be making compromises and doing stuff that's going to get the Zappos crowd in there. Um, Free mustache waxing. Yeah, you know, I mean, who who's down there? You've got basically three groups. You've got casino. If you're looking at the locals who are in that area, you've got casino employees. You've got attorneys and people involved with the criminal justice system there. And you've got the downtown tech people. Right. So it's how do you do that? You know, maybe for the attorneys and the, the criminal justice people, you have a really good lunch special. So that becomes the new it place to go for lunch. You know, I remember a couple of years ago, it was the Ice House. And it seems like it kind of moves around what the really, you know, hip places for all the people to go for lunch. So, you know, you do. I, I would play around with doing something like that. Yeah. You know, what I thought was interesting was that um, – Going back to that trip was I we went to visit the downtown container park and I had never been there and um, I was expecting to hate it because of what I'd read and heard about it it just didn't sound like my kind of thing but we actually both my wife and I both really liked it it was kind of fun it was cool 
Yeah, you know, I, I've been there with the kids, and I've also been there when at night when they've had a movie on. It is kind of fun. It is a little bit, I do feel a little bit, I don't even know what the right word is here. Ominous is too serious, <laughs> but, you know, having your bags checked and yeah. all that by security, and yeah. you kind of get that feeling of being in some kind of future dystopian yes. movie where you're the privileged classes and yes. everyone else is on the outside. But I don't even know what movie that would be. Um, but you know, you kind of get that feeling of, Hmm, I'm very conscious that I'm allowed in this space and there's other people that aren't. That's I don't know true. how that makes me feel, <laughs> but it, it, it I, I had a good time when I was there Yeah. besides uh, the nagging sense of, uh, whatever. I mean, I'm not planning, you know, a trip just to go there or anything, but I, I was, I was surprised by not hating it. Um, all right, moving, moving up the street around the corner, the Cosmopolitan has been sold to black Jack, what's the company called? Blackstone. Black, <laughs> Blackstone. Blackstone. Um, hedge fund people, $230 quadrillion in assets, um, who already have Las Vegas uh, connections going on with some of their other investments. But, you know, this is something that we've talked about a lot on this show of, in the past. Cosmopolitan cost a fortune to build, um, you know, has not performed well financially in the time it's been open. Uh, is now being sold for uh, a lot less than what it cost. So Deutsche Bank is, you know, not uh, getting their money back. But at the same time, I think more than what some of the at least back of the napkin analysis would suggest. Is that right, Dave? Oh yeah, I mean it's way more than I thought it would go for, and it's honestly way more than a lot of people were willing to pay for it. You look at the place; it's been in the market for what four years. And I know for a fact there's been a lot of people looking at that place. So it's definitely, I think the Blackstone group sees some upside there that other people haven't seen. Yeah, so, uh, and I want to get to like why they're doing this, but there was a Robin Leach story, my favorite <laughs> person, uh, where he had a sort of a quote from these people saying that they think that they can, I, I'm paraphrasing, but I believe they can improve the gaming situation by 50% in the short term, which implies that they have some kind of idea how to do it, uh, which I think is really interesting, right? So what could that be? It's either something that is non-obvious that or I assume other existing management would have done it if it was obvious or it's something existing management couldn't do because they didn't have the resources to do it or it's something they didn't want to do because it has some other kind of detrimental side effect that they didn't want to have to deal with. Yeah, well, I mean, the thing about that is, is it, it's not as if Tom McCartney didn't know how to operate <laughs> casino. Right. <laughs> you know, so I, I – and this is one of the things that was bugging me. When they say, oh, yeah, we're going we're gonna, to you know, increase the win by 50%, it's like, well, great. So then you're only going to lose, <laughs> what, $60 million a year instead of $100 million? You know, it's st- I just couldn't put the – I could see incre- I could see getting incremental gains – like, okay, we're going to cut some labor costs here. We're going to do this there, increase marketing, maybe boost your, you know, our casino win incrementally instead of we're going to increase it by 50%. That, that seems very ambitious to me. Yeah. You know, the article also implies that Robin Leach knows what he's talking about. Well, uh, we know that's not true. Right. So, you know, this is obviously that they – have some kind of elixir to market to more people. That means get more people in the door yeah. and more people who are actually going to gamble as opposed to just go to the clubs. So this means better a better strategy 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 to fill the beds with people who are going to play as opposed to just rack rates. 
Yeah. They've yeah. got a good they've got good occupancy there and they're charging a ton of money for those rooms. But it might not be the right person who's buying those rooms. They might book there to stay there and then go gamble at Bellagio or any other place. Well, the other thing, if I can continue to, to beat this dead horse for just one moment more, is that it's it, anybody can raise casino revenues by X amount. The problem is you have to do it by buying business. Right. So, yeah, if I start sending out a $500 free play mailer to everybody who puts 25 cents in the machine, sure, I'll raise revenues, but it's going to cost me too much money and it's not going to be sustainable. Right. So you can't and we, you know we see this in Atlantic City when they when they used to break down the prop used to break down all this actually they still still do break it down by property, but you can see it where some of the properties, you know, were giving out a lot of comp play and it didn't really ended up not helping them. So the revenues went up, but it cost them a lot of money. So I, I I'm I'm definitely skeptical of that. Yeah. Well, I mean, a claim like that is like, you know, yeah, it's without knowing all the context, but still it, it doesn't, it doesn't seem right. Cause the guys that are there are not for all of their faults with their operational strategies or mistakes they may have made. They're not, they're not idiots. They're seasoned veterans of the industry. Yeah. So, so, um, why, why is the, the Blackstone folks, why are they buying the Cosmopolitan Charles? Why, why? Well, they obviously see some kind of value in there to uh, that they can maximize and possibly flip and sell. You know, they did something similar with with uh, Hilton, right? They didn't they buy Hilton when it was kind of distressed and then managed it and then led it through to the IPO. So they could have that kind of that kind of plan. Who knows? I don't know. I couldn't tell you, but that's a possibility. Obviously, they're investing. Because right. they, they, they think they're going to get a return on the investment at some point. Now, the, there's other ways they could do it. They could be going pointing towards IPO option. That seems like a little more uh, – they'd need a, little, a few more assets, I think, before they could get anywhere to, uh, to being able to do that. But that raises a whole bunch of other questions, right? Can they get the other assets? Let's say they plunk the money down, they buy Revel. Let's say they plunk it's the like money 10 down. 10 bucks. Right. Yeah. Then they get the same property, essentially, designed by the same firm, same type of deal. Boom. You have a portfolio. It's, it's interesting. I mean, I, I wish that I knew what their, what their strategy was. I bet you that's a fascinating document to read to try yeah. and see if it's uh, some sort of devilishly clever uh, combination of factors or whether it's just some kind of insane shoot the moon, hope for the best kind of <laughs> just uh, put it all in black kind of thing. It is a very big investment in Las Vegas, and it's assuming that the city's going to continue to grow. So from that perspective, it's a pretty good thing for the city. It's showing that there's confidence. Uh, but yeah, I don't know how well it's going to pay off. Hopefully it pays off well for everybody. You know, hopefully they are able to flip it for $2.5 billion, um, you know, five years from now, and the city continues to grow, and a lot more people have jobs. Yeah. Well, Cosmopolitan... No longer owned by the large German bank, now owned by the large U.S. hedge fund. The other, well, the interesting thing is that they, I, I got an email yesterday about a, it's a pitch for an article about a new commercial they're doing with the right amount of wrong. So it seems like they're, even though the sale is impending, and I think it's going to go through in October, they're continuing to do what they've been doing. Yep. So that, that, I found that kind of interesting. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, um, It'll be interesting to see after the sale closes if they do start making changes. 
you could imagine that uh, new owners would would want to change things at a money losing operation, but uh, <laughs> you know maybe not. Maybe they'll just keep on bleeding. We'll see. Um, quickly, uh, since we're talking about Cosmo, um, the last and most recent thing I wrote for Vegas Stripping was about their app. They released an app, um, sort of to just sum it all up. I don't know why they release an app because it sucks. <laughs> you can read about how bad it is uh, at uh, Vegas Stripping, <laughs> and uh, you know I don't know why they did it. It's not very good, but uh, they did it. So, well, I'd like to ask you a question. Yeah, why do people release bad apps? Because doing it's just like anything else. Doing good apps is hard. So it's I I think you could look at it from a you could look at it from a couple different perspectives and and uh, answer that question. I think for a lot of organizations, um, it's sort of they have this marketing checklist of things they must do. You know, the marketing department has it's it's got stuff on it like. Um, you know, magazine ads and radio spots and social media. And there's a checkbox there that says app. And so they work their way down the checklist and they hire some firm. They put out an RFP and they get a bunch of bids and they get some firm. And they don't really give them a lot of direction. Um, and they're not really super invested in it because, you know, frankly, an app is not their primary business. It's, it's so it doesn't get the attention uh, that maybe it, it could get. Um, and so they end up with something that's, you know, not so terrible that they're ashamed to release it, but it's, it's not something that got a lot of anybody's attention that matters. Um, and so, you know, they, they go out and they, they want to get sort of do a a digital land grab and, and get their space on the app store. So they, they put it out there. Um, and they're also expensive to do well. So, um, you know, they allocate whatever resources they can get to get the, the, okay version not the excellent version so there's all kinds of reasons why uh it's it's hard to do it's expensive um and quite frankly uh i would argue that um the kind of apps that virtually all of these casinos have released are basically like brochureware mobile optimized versions of their websites more or less with varying degrees of success which in my mind is sort of 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 dubious value um, I think that there's a huge opportunity for these people to make apps that would truly improve the guest experience. You can imagine all kinds of cool, innovative things they could do with this technology. Instead, they're doing none of that. And so, you know, why? Uh, doing all the cool stuff, A, requires vision. Um, and, and, and in the past, casino companies have not been known as great technology companies or involved in technology. Um, so it requires vision. The people that have that awesome product vision don't usually want to work for casino companies. They want to work at Facebook or Google or Apple or start their own companies. Um, so it's hard to get the talent that they would need to do it. And B, again, it's expensive, right? It's like you can do cool stuff and um, build a really neat uh, app that could unlock your room doors and order drinks and tell you where all the cool slot machines that you want are. But it's expensive to do. And they look at the return on investment and they go, well... Is somebody going to come and stay here just because they can unlock their door with our app? Probably not. Um, so it, it's harder to justify when they're, especially when you're losing a shit ton of money and you have to justify every single thing. So it's a lot of factors, but it's the way it is, unfortunately. Frankly, yeah. I'm completely surprised that they released an app at all. Like, does anybody still do that? In terms of hotels? Uh, well, no. I mean, I think uh, we haven't seen, at least, I, as, I don't track it super closely, but I. Um, 
you know, I think a lot of them are did do what uh, what I was describing earlier, which is like they've got a a marketing checklist and it has yeah. app on it, and they did it, and then they forgot about it and never thought about it again. Right. Um, so, so for whatever so reason, did I because I deleted them all. Yeah, because they're not very good. Yeah. You know? Well, I've got to say, as a non-developer, um, just tourist person, the app that I really found the most use at, use out of as a tourist was the Disneyland app that lets yeah. you know where, how long you have to wait in line for the rides. Disney does a good job. Um, but, you know, Disney is a company that actually has made a large investment in technology. Yeah. Uh, you look at something like FastPass uh, mm-hmm. or the, te- mm-hmm. you know, the technology that they're now integrating under the bracelets that you get when you visit Disney World. I mean, those are like Bluetooth-enabled bracelets that can even like track a lost kid in the park and stuff. I mean, wow. they're doing some really cool stuff, but they're spending – you know, tens if not hundreds of millions of dollars developing it. They see it as a competitive advantage. Um, they can do all kinds of stuff. They're gathering metrics they could never get before. So they have the vision part, right? They also oh, have yeah. the resources. But yeah, absolutely. Disney's a good example of someone in hospitality that is doing a great job with technology. Well, it just made my experience so much better. And it probably made everybody's experience better because if I know that, hey, this place has a 65-minute wait – you know, more if everybody knows that they're not going to go there, it's going right. to kind of naturally balance it out. So it seemed like that that kind of that's the only reason I would I would download an app for a, a standalone place would be for something like that. There's that a, actually help me yeah. as opposed to just telling me about the place. Absolutely, I could, I could just Google that. You know. Yes. Oh, it's it's absolutely true. So you know, it continues to be a missed opportunity. Um, unfortunately. I have limited insight or uh, limited limited information on this, but um, I don't get the sense that there's like I wouldn't peg one of these companies to come out with some breakaway awesome new piece of technology. Like I think they're all kind of content to be status quo, kind of average, not so great. And I don't, well, I don't know, you know, I don't know what you could do at a casino that would actually help people. Um, could you have an app that uh, you know maybe telling people what the table minimums are, but how many people is that? So that's what not, it, not many. I mean, I can imagine all kinds of small that. things, right? Um, like, for instance, if I could order a drink and okay. the cocktail waitress could actually see if I moved from table to table or slot machine to slot machine, she could actually still find me because it could track me indoors. That would be great. Um, I could order a drink as I'm walking down from my hotel room. I could have them bring my car up uh, from the valet. Actually, that was one thing I really liked about Dantan Grand is your valet ticket has a text message number on it and you text it when you're in your room and then they bring your car up and it has an automated system that says like your car will be available in five minutes in three minutes. So that, and that worked really well and it was very convenient because we never had to wait for the car. It was always there, um, which was cool. So more like that, please. Um, but yeah, a lot of little automation stuff, automation things that you could do. Um, there's a reservation open at yeah, blah, blah, blah in 20 minutes. Right. So imagine like, if not, we're on a, such a tangent now. But imagine that you've got a spa at a Las Vegas casino, and you have a certain you have a certain number of masseuses on staff, and for whatever reason you're having a hard time selling one time block. So you've got a masseuse that's literally twiddling their thumbs. If you offered that out to uh, at like a thirty percent discount to people with right. the app, you you could have this ability to sort of micro target people that isn't possible with sort of existing advertising techniques. So I think there's opportunity both to improve the guest experience and to make money, but it requires someone to really think these things through and it's just not their priority. So I think what the problem might be is that they're thinking about it as a marketing tool and they should probably be thinking about it as the yield management tool. Yeah. Yep. 
at least internally. You know, yep. I don't think you're going to tell the guests that, but <laughs> that's probably it right there. I'm here to manage your yield. Please download our app. <laughs> Give us more. Yield more. I, I think it's fascinating. I continue to be disappointed. I don't expect that to change anytime soon. So you can read my article on VegasChatter.com. Oh, wait. <laughs> shit. Did I say that out loud? <laughs> um, uh, all right. Continuing on. Um, Dan Lee. Man. That didn't last long. So I remember it was, what, November or something? We were saying Dan Lee has joined the Palms, which was you know super interesting because uh, he hadn't been active in Vegas for a long time. You know, long time, a long time ago, CFO of Mirage Resorts in the, in the heady wind Bellagio era, went off and did some stuff at Pinnacle, did casino stuff in the Midwest, kind of had some rough issues with a few, uh, with a few um, agencies and kind of was... Uh, out of the spotlight for a bit, and then he resurfaces as the um, president or CEO or whomever, chief top dog at the Palms. And um, now he's gone. And it's been, <laughs> what, like six months, if that, yeah. right? So what the hell happened? Anybody know? Uh, Charles, <laughs> I know that you wrote about this and you were speculating it had to do uh, with some other events. But, I, I, you know, e- even if it's just speculation, I'd love to hear it. Oh, speculation. I've got plenty of that. I've got zero facts, but but I certainly have a lot of speculation. Uh, you know, Dan Lee's a tenacious dude. Um, if nothing, he's nothing. He's a bulldog. And he, in addition to all the other stuff he learned from Wynn, he learned how to be a bit of a jackass. This is just an impression, you know. <laughs> so, <laughs> and that's, and I mean that in all due respect, because because yeah. <laughs> I, I am too. And, uh, Billionaires are assholes, pretty much universally. True. Yeah, and he's got an eye for development. He's built some pretty fantastic resorts on on a uh, you know a riverboat budget, and has had good good success with it back in the day. So my speculation was, hmm, Blackstone buys the Cosmopolitan. Do they want to keep an somewhat possibly ineffective management team in place who isn't doesn't know how to recoup 50% of gaming play or do they want to bring in a tenacious jackass to not just manage that and whip it into shape but to help them build a platform of proper comp clubs to help them acquire and design and build properties, renovate properties that they purchase and buy and turn whatever it is that they're doing, not just from a, uh, you know, a one stop shop, a one tent house to, you know, a, a possible platform of casinos. So the timing is pretty impeccable. So he's out now. Mr. Lee has left to pursue other opportunities. Exactly. He's left to to do that, and then he's got five months, and then October comes, unwins out. I, I, you know, like we said when we talked about Cosmo, it would be easy to imagine changes in management there, right? Just if for no other reason, just like, look, you had your chance, it didn't work out. Right. You know, time for, we're new, we're going to bring in a new person. And it could work the other direction, too. (sighs) Yeah. John's like, I'm done. That's I did true. My job. Then he gets, you know, he got a special. At least if the terms are his contract are still in place, he got a special bonus because the property sold, right? So he got a, a cash payment. 
Um, I don't know. Dan Lee was kind of like I was thought it would be interesting to see what he could do at the Palms, um, and uh, gave the guy props when they announced their sort of twenty four hour checkout thing that they were going to try, which I thought that was really innovative and interesting. Um, and now he's gone. So uh, you know, clearly something. There's more to the story, uh, though he has not yet resurfaced. It hasn't been very long, but um, yeah, I hope he you know hope he returns and he's not like a Glenn Schaefer that will who never will be heard of again. Because uh, he's an interesting dude, so I hope, think, we, hope we get him back. Think, do you think Glenn listens to the show? Because if he does, he should contact us. Oh my gosh. Because we really want him on the show. He's such he's a good probably our, He'd probably be our number one guy. Who would you say the number one guy we want? I think probably, because he's such, he's such a, a question mark, right? He just, yeah. he's not, he's been so, he hasn't been active. And not only the Flaunt and Blue story, but just all the stuff he did at Mandalay Resort Group slash Circus Circus Enterprises. I mean, the guy was a, a legend. I think I think he'd be great. He's he's busy with supporting the writing program. Yeah, that kind of stuff. And That's also his thing, his, right? Poetry or something and, like that. Yeah, yeah. Creative writing in his vineyards in New Zealand. I mean, I think those are enough to keep somebody. But it sounds like he's basically retired, right? I mean, he's like which isn't which really to me isn't a bad place to be. Well, it doesn't mean he can't talk to us. Oh yeah, that would be great. All he's got to do is get a Skype more, account. <laughs> so yeah, we whether he's in. What's the what's the time difference with the New Zealand? Like thirty five hours. Yeah, so that that might be problematic. But I'm sure we could work it out. We could. We'll uh, schedule around at, him. Yeah, we'll record it at three in the morning or something. I, you know, it, if you're listening, I'll do that for you. Yeah, I'll 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 travel to next Thursday just to talk to you on the phone. <laughs> um, interesting. He would. Oh, he'd be great. Um, all right, we're gonna try and bang through a couple more things here because we've got at least one other. Vegas stripping story I want to talk about, and then unfortunately we have um, two uh, two deaths that we need to note. Uh, so let's try and get this in before we wrap. Um, the last v- VT story I want to talk about was you did a, I thought a really interesting post on how much does your room cost, where you sort of break down the various fees because as time goes on, um, you know more and more of our uh, vacation budget is taken up with miscellaneous fees that are oftentimes mandatory. Um, so Chuck, what did you find as you broke down fees? Oh boy. Well, uh, you know, I was really just curious for myself just to get an average idea of of how much you're going to pay when you when you book a hotel room. It's the same thing with like airlines. Like you know, you never know to a degree how much stuff is going to cost you cuz you you see the list price for a, for a hotel room, say. And then there's the resort fee and then which most people don't really know about that. They it gets lost in the details. And then the tax. Then you say, well, you know, honey, our flight arrives at 9. We'll just go check into the hotel. Oh, that's going to be 30 bucks. It's like, oh, our flight doesn't leave till 11. Call downstairs and tell them we're going to check out late. Oh, that's going to be 30 bucks. Or you get to the front desk when you're checking in. You're like, uh, can we upgrade to a higher floor? Or you go to your room and you get one of those Mandalay Bay jobs that look right at the side of a parking garage, right? And you need to get yourself up there. Well, that's going to cost you 30 bucks. Or you just want to have a higher room. All these things add up. So depending on how choosy you are, you know, you can really rack up a hell of a lot more than uh, just the listed rack rate. And a lot of this stuff used to be sort of included. Right. So they've gotten good right? at 
at feeing, right? So for I, you know, it wasn't long after the Bellagio opened that we started seeing, you know, lake view rooms was like a for all the properties in the area, right? They all benefited from an extra thirty bucks. But you know, the whole like check in early, check in late thing is now pretty much institutionalized as this extra fee you can pay. You know, at least MGM's doing this, yeah. where you can pay a couple extra bucks and give yeah. guaranteed a late check in or a late checkout. MGM for the most part, at least in the in the study, and I, and I chose all the 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 stuff in the five star, uh, four star range, the top the top chunks because I didn't want to get down to the to the to that part because then the the range would be too wide. So uh, MGM in that in that sampling are the only ones who charge for early check and late checkout, but not at the super high ends. So Man- Mandarin, I mean uh, Four Seasons and uh, and uh, Mandarin Oriental don't charge for those. That's like traditional hospitality. They just accommodate you. Right. Yeah. Uh, I guess what I'm wondering is, are will there be backlash as feeing continues? I mean, we talked about resort fees a lot. Um, but, you know, one of the things people really hate about the airlines, and this is even more true today, you look at Frontier, I think they charge you for the, you know, the, uh, the seatbelt. Um, <laughs> it, it's, uh, it's getting worse and worse. There's all these, uh, everything is an added charge. And it, eventually people, I think, throw up their arms and just say, well, well, what, what the hell, man? They just, they don't, they like, people like to, they don't like being surprised, right? They don't like everything being this extra thing. They just want to know what it's going to cost. There's even more granularity of the fees, on uh, and this study was was uh, sort of prompted by another post that I did where I was I just was was shopping for a room and I saw in Bellagio you could reserve three of your preferences for thirty dollars a night each preference so you could say close to the elevator wow view of the pool and adjoining room and that would add ninety bucks to your room wow. Per night. Total or per night? Wow. That's per like, night. Think of how much money they're making off this shit. Yeah. That's unbelievable, right? And all they got to do is like make sure that their software is smart enough to be able to accommodate this. And it's just like – then it's like pure profit for them. Yeah. Well, here's the thing. It's – the question is, is it really adding revenue or is it just shifting it around? Mm, good from, question. Were people – you know, were people – are people not going to buy a round of drinks and instead get – uh, late checkout. That's the question, and I'm on, I honestly don't know the answer. It, I think there's some customers for whom money isn't really important. Who right. just to be able to specify that, yeah, extra yeah. ninety bucks a night, fine. But I got the exact room I wanted, so for them it works. Yeah, I think if you look at it from that in that way, and well, does that help them keep down the roof room fee for people who are more price sensitive? You know, maybe it does. Maybe it's like the difference between selling a generic brand than a supermarket and a brand brand. You know, where people are basically choosing to pay more just for the perception of getting something better. So right. that that might be the so it might not be the worst idea. Um, but yeah, if it's just reshuffling the money, it doesn't make a ton of sense. Uh, it's uh, it's interesting. I definitely would recommend folks uh, check out the post because there's some nice nice charts. Thanks. Um, okay, so before we go, I want to talk about uh, two gentlemen that have passed away since our last show. Um, one is Burton Cohen, legendary casino operator, um, a few weeks back. Uh, lived a long life, um, but a very full and interesting life. Uh, I 
hopefully uh, one day we'll we'll get a book or something. I don't think there's no biography of him, is there, Dave? No, he's yeah. a couple of oral, oral histories, though. So there you go. Yeah. Um, so there's there's Burt Cohen, and then just today, uh, Bob Fess, who is a name that I I was saying before the show. I, I feel like I've maybe heard in passing, but not a person that I'm very familiar with. I know he was uh, at, uh, he's a, a gaming lawyer. So Dave, I mean, I know that you know uh, you knew Bob, right? So why don't yeah. you why don't you tell us a little bit about about him and. And, uh, and you know, Nevada's really um, expressing their sympathy today. Uh, he, he's an important guy. Bob is one of the people who never owned a casino but had a huge influence in the industry because he was one of the people involved as the industry is becoming corporate and professional. So if you look at all the changes that have happened in gaming regulations since the 60s, Bob was involved with a lot of them. You know, things that seem so second nature today, like the foreign, I forget what it's called, but basically the foreign ownership rule, which lets casino, lets companies in Nevada own casinos outside Nevada. Mm -hmm. He was one of the people who got that enacted into law. So if you look at... I think if you looked back at all everything he was involved in from that aspect, you would just see that his impact on the system of gaming regulation today and how casinos run is really immense. And he also represented most of the big casinos at one time or another, so right up into the internet age. So right. it just really had a huge impact and had a huge sense of responsibility for the state and trying to see where the industry was going and trying to help them create a system that could regulate the casinos. Yeah. Steve Sibelius, who's a longtime Las Vegas journalist, uh, wrote a piece earlier today, Just and the, the title was the, the nicest guy I've ever met. And that, it wasn't, yeah. wasn't meant to be hyperbolic. I mean, I think he, that's the way he really felt about him. No, he's, he's a really nice guy. I first, I first uh, met him, and he was telling me how much he enjoyed something I've written. And I was really, um, I don't want to say taken aback, but just really humbled by that, having that kind of praise from someone of his accomplishment. So it was really, you know, and always had time to work with students. We all, he was teaching at, at the board school of law for a while and would refer me students who were working on projects and was very involved with that. So even though he was doing all of, you know, this incredibly high profile work, a lot of people would say, well, that's enough. That's my contribution. He was working with future attorneys. So he's going to have an influence on the way gaming law is practiced for the next 50 years, if not longer, because he's got generations of new attorneys coming in were really molded by him. So I think that's that's really his measure. Yeah. Well, it's always sad when we lose somebody. Seventy-nine, you know, that's not that old these days. Um, so, so it's uh, it's very sad. But obviously, um, we offer our condolences to his survivors. Um, that's it. Sorry to leave the show on a on a downer note, but um, you know, gotta gotta add these things to the historical record. So, um, we're gonna do our Sherbets segment right now. Sherbets is our opportunity to recommend stuff to you guys. Uh, something that we might think that we think you might find interesting. So, um, if you guys have something to share, I'll start with uh, whomever. Dave, do you have something today? I have something. Great. It is the Highway Vibe. What is that? <laughs> Highway Vibe is a station. I, it's they've got like three stations. It's the stations that you can get for a stretch when you're driving up uh, the 15. There, it's oh, yeah. pretty much the only station you can get. There's that and a. Uh, 
religious station. I don't know what you would call it. It's not gospel music, but it's the devotional sort of stuff, which yep. is which is also sometimes pretty cool to listen to. Um, but the highway vibe, the, the cool thing is you can get it when you're in Vegas too. I think it's 99.7. And I just enjoy listening to it driving around town because of the Road to Vegas challenge, which, um, Chuck, I'm sure you've heard this. It's a question with that's ridiculously easy to answer. And I figure it's got to be just some way of getting information for fishing or so I, it can't be that they're actually giving these incredible prize packages away to people who know these questions. So you know, the questions to be like, you know, this is a famous heist movie set in Las Vegas that was made, right? That was remade in 2001. A lot of sequels, you know. Right. And the answer it is uh, mm. Gone with the Wind, <laughs> Ocean's Eleven. Or <laughs> Saving Private Ryan. <laughs> if you think you know the answer, call now. So it's that kind of stuff. Um, but it's really, it's it's just kind of fun station to listen to when you get that vibe and you get these interviews. And it's kind of cool. Right on. There's something, you know, there's something about, even if it's not necessarily to your musical taste all the time, there's something about listening to radio station as you're driving across the desert there. It's just the optimism and the sense that all these people are going to Vegas and Laughlin and we've got the weather updates and the track. It's just this feeling of motion that I, I like. I think you're right. Updates. That's a, a very good way of putting it. Um, all right, Charles, you got something for us today? Yeah, you know, I got something stupid. I got Okay, I got two things. I got a good thing and, and I had something stupid. Okay. I'll do the good one first. Uh, music, the Led Zeppelin remasters are out. Jimmy Page is done another remastering round on the albums uh i've listened to led zeppelin 2 the first three records are out i listened to it it sounds pretty good you can hear all the details and stuff i'm not sure if i'd fully recommend it but since i recommended that other zeppelin thing last year i figure why not you know it's the next round of records that's really the best so it's led zeppelin 4 house of the holy and uh god what's the one that comes after that that's uh Physical physical graffiti right yeah um so those ones I think are, are those are at least they're my favorite records. But hey, it's out there. But uh, my real sure bet is just really to say thank you to everybody who came to VT10. I was touched beyond words. I know we all were to see so many folks there and making the effort to come and hang out and the folks who got to to watch us do the show and and all that stuff. And it really it really really meant a lot to all of us. So thank you guys for coming. Yeah, very cool. It was great to see all those folks out there, so it was very awesome. Um, cool. Thanks, Chuck. Yeah. Uh, so I'm going to recommend a Mac app today. Actually, it's probably going to have a pretty narrow window of interest for the listeners, but I'm, I like it so much I'm going to recommend it anyway. Um, the app is called Sketch. And um, so for, for many years, if you were, like, designing a website or doing some kind of graphics for an app, maybe, um, or even maybe even for print stuff, you would probably use Photoshop or maybe Illustrator, which are two very popular Adobe tools that uh, over the years people have used to create all the assets that are made for your favorite websites and apps and whatever. That's me. Uh, yep. Super <laughs> popular, right? There's industry standard, I think, is the term you would use. So yep. Sketch... Is so the thing. The thing about Photoshop and Illustrator is that they're not really tools designed for UI design. People have repurposed them for this, and it's true more of Photoshop than Illustrator. I think Illustrator's not quite as bad, but um, it's, they're just not made for this. They're tools uh, from a different age, and um, there's 
you know, I think you could argue there's some room for improvement when it comes to some of the workflows that UI designers today have to deal with. So Sketch is a very cool Mac app that is aimed at, at people that are doing UI design. Um, it's very well done. They're in, in their third version now. Um, and, uh, it's, you know, it's for those that know what these tools, what these terms mean, it's all about doing, it's entirely vector-based, uh, and it's, um, designed for people that are making user interfaces and, uh, it's very good at its job. And I'm seeing actually a lot of long-time UI folks that are switching over to it, um, or maybe not, if not replacing Photoshop and Illustrator, at least, uh, spending a lot more time in Sketch, uh, than they maybe would have guessed since, uh, because the other tools are so established. Um, so anyway, if you're interested in that kind of thing, I would recommend it. The other nice thing is it's a lot cheaper than Photoshop and Illustrator. It's about 60 bucks, I think, on the Mac App Store. Um, and it's very well done. So 80 bucks. 80 bucks on the Mac App Store. Uh, totally worth it. I think they have a demo that you can get from their website if you want to try it out. But uh, it's great. People, uh, it's, it's sterling reputation is well deserved. So um, if you're into that kind of thing, I would recommend Sketch for the Mac. Um, that's it. Uh, people of Earth, do not forget to rate the show on iTunes. We really love it when you go out and rate the show. So you can go there and leave a rating for us there. Uh, if you want to leave comments about the show, you can go to VegasGangPodcast.com and um, leave a comment on the story for this episode. You can also reach us on Twitter at VegasGang is the Twitter address. And uh, that's what we got. I'm going to go around the table here so people can tell you where they can these guys can tell you where you can find them. Follow that? Okay. Uh, <laughs> Dr. Dave Schwartz, where can people find you? All inhabitants of the Solar Federation can find me at dgschwartz.com or gaming.unlv.edu for the more work type stuff. Excellent. And uh, Charles, where can people find you? Uh, I was going to make a joke about 2112, but Dave would be <laughs> the only one who would get it. So uh, I'm. Uh, you can find me at vegastripping.com. Excellent. Uh, for the stuff, the, my most recent writings and ramblings is actually also at vegastripping.com. Uh, if you want to check out my app, Vegas Mate, it's on the App Store as Vegas Mate. Thanks, guys. Have a great weekend.